Good morning. How's everybody this first Sunday of spring break? Good, I'm glad. Everybody got uh, big spring break plans? I guess not because you're still here. So uh, everybody else who has big plans I guess is already gone. But uh, I want to say uh, welcome to all of our guests. Uh, Tim uh, welcomed you earlier, but I want to just reiterate that welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, you could have been somewhere else, but you co- chose to come here and join us, and we hope our service is a blessing to you. And uh, My name is Jason, and I'll be standing at the back at the close of the service, and if I can answer any questions about, uh, about Cornerstone or, or, or any of the people here in particular, I'll be glad to do that. And so you just find me in the back, and I'll be glad to, uh, to help in any way whatsoever to uh, tell you a little bit more about this body that, uh, that meets here in, uh, in Thomasville. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 3. Uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. That's where we'll be this morning as we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're getting close to wrapping up our sort of our mini-series in the overall series uh, on, the, uh, on the Beatitudes. Now then, Tim mentioned just a few minutes ago that next Sunday, uh, Dr. John York from Lipscomb University is going to be here, uh, and he's going to tell us some things that I, I think are going to be exciting. I think it's going to be uh, beneficial uh, to our church over the, uh, the next couple of years, and uh, I'm going to ask that you make plans to be here. Uh, in just a few minutes, I'm going to, to use a scripture that says, if at all possible, live at peace. I'm going to take that out of context and rewrite it and say, if at all possible, be here next Sunday. Uh, if you can be here, because you don't want to miss Dr. York, you will really be blessed uh, by, by what he has to say. As a matter of fact, he's going to take on the, the last beatitude. Uh, as we get to, uh, to, uh, to that last one, as he talks about blessed are those who are, are persecuted for righteousness, and he's going to deal with that, and then the, the ver- verses that follow after that. And uh, he is a, he's a brilliant guy, and you will absolutely be blessed by what he has to say. And so I hope you'll be making plans to, uh, to attend so that, you can hear, so that you can hear Dr. York. Well, speaking of the Beatitudes, that's where we are. And we're on number seven of eight Beatitudes. You know, we've looked at these Beatitudes as sort of a mountain, like the, the first four kind of are, are, are taking us and transforming us into the presence of God, and it's once we get there and we say it's good for us to be here, and let's put up a, a, a tent like, uh, like Peter wanted to do, then, then, then Jesus points us down the other side of the mountain. Because we can't stay in the mountaintop with God because there is work still to be done, and so he sends us back down where we practice mercy and we practice integrity and we practice uh, what it means to be pure in heart, and we can't do those things on top of the mountain. We do those in our relationships with others, and that's where we are. And today, we're talking about being peacemakers, and this is not an easy beatitude. I'll go ahead and tell you that right now. It's not an easy one. Uh, When... uh, when I was in, in seventh grade, I went through a, a change in my life that was different than anything I had known up to that point. The way our school system was structured outside the Atlanta area was kindergarten through sixth grade was elementary school. Middle school was seventh and eighth grade, and then high school was you know ninth through twelfth. 
And so I rode the bus a lot of that time. And so uh, in, in sixth grade, you know, I was like the big man on the big cheese wagon on the school bus, you know. I mean, it was great. You know, I was one of the oldest, and so everybody respected me, you know, and it was, it was great. And then I left elementary school. I went from sixth grade to seventh grade, and it was a completely different world, okay, because not only were there seventh and eighth graders on the bus, there was also the high schoolers on the bus because my middle school and the high school were, were right next to each other. So it was convenient for us to just all ride the same bus. And, you know, those of you that have ridden the school bus before, you know there's politics that go into that. Okay? You don't just walk on a school bus and march yourself straight to the back, okay? Because that's where the cool kids sit is on, that, on the, the back of the bus back there. Okay? So you don't just do that. Okay? You have to, to basically, you're assigned a seat by the cool kids. Okay? And then they determine when you get to move into the cool zone onto the onto the school bus, okay? And then, and, and then not only that, you know, I am a seventh grader riding a school bus with seniors. Here's a picture of me in seventh grade. Yes, isn't that sweet? As a seventh grader, I got on the bus for the first time, and I was intimidated because here I am riding the school bus with all these people that were older than me, many of them that I had, I had never met before in my life. Now then, there was, uh, there's also, if you've ridden the school bus, you know that there are characters that ride the school bus. Am I right? Just for a show, man, who, rode, who has ever ridden a school bus in here? Kids today don't ride school buses a whole lot anymore. I'm not, I see buses, but I don't know many that ride them. But, okay, so those of us that grew up riding a school bus, we know, and you know, that when you got on that bus, there were characters on that bus. Am I right? Some of you, no doubt, were some of those characters, okay? I'm not saying whether I was or was not. I'm just saying there were characters on the bus. Well, before I became a character, there was a character. And his name was, was Danny. And Danny was a troublemaker. You name it, he caused it, okay? Harassing the bus driver harassing the kids around him, harassing the seventh graders, you know, the, the fresh meat on the bus, okay? And he's kind of showing that, that he's kind of the man on the cheese wagon. You know, he's the boss, and he's the one that's to be respected, and so he's full of big talk and all this stuff and things that he's done. And You know, he's like a, uh, he's probably a, a sophomore, and, and, and he was a pretty big kid, played on the football team and Malvi and all of that, and he loved to harass people. Okay, to the point of, uh, of bullying some people. And I made it a point to be on his good side because I did not want to be on the receiving end of, of that treatment. And so, you know, there was this, you know, this, this half hour, 45 minutes, twice a day that I've got to deal with this guy. And it's like, okay, if I can just, if I can do the right things during that time, that 90 minutes, Going and coming, it'll be fine. I won't have to deal with this guy the rest of the day. Well, I get off the bus at my bus stop, and guess who gets off at the same bus stop? This guy, Danny. And, uh, you know, anyway, so I, I kind of got to know him a little bit, which did help because that meant he was a little bit nicer to me. But one day we got off the bus, and down the street was one of my neighbors who was my good friend growing up. He did not go to the same school as, as I did. I went to a county school. He went to a city school. He went to Marietta 
high school. And, and we were kind of rivals, and by rivals, I mean uh, uh, we were not their rivals. Uh, they were our rivals because they always destroyed us in football. Just to, to give you some frame of reference and time frame, you remember Eric Zier played at UGA, any UGA fans? He was the quarterback during that time, okay? And so he threw like 100,000 touchdowns against us during his four years at Marietta. This was during this time, okay? Now then, my friend attended Marietta. So we're walking home, and, and, and this other guy, his, his name is Danny, decides he's going to follow me home this day. I don't know why, but he spots my friend, and instead of going up and meeting the guy, hey, what's going on, you know this, he goes down there, and you know what a troublemaker does? He makes trouble. And that's what he does, and he starts mouthing with my friend. And the next thing I know, he punches my friend right in the face. Okay? And, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised because what do troublemakers do? They, they make trouble. Okay? He goes down there and he makes trouble with my friend. And I'm watching this in amazement. Because remember, I've, I've come out of sixth grade. I've come out of elementary school where life is a little bit different. And now here I am. And i got to worry about defending myself and being punched by guys all the time and that's what it felt like as a as, as that kid right there okay and I'm watching this and I'm thinking man I, what, what's going on here and I remember thinking I really should say something I should say hey man this is my friend he's okay okay I've known him all my life there's you know he's there's not a problem with him but I I didn't for the sake of my own uh, peace for the sake of my own self-preservation. And I was scared. I didn't say anything. Okay, I could have said something, but in that moment, in that moment, I was, I was not peacemaker. But that's what was needed during that moment. I needed to be a peacemaker. I needed to step in and say, hey man, back up, this guy's okay. He's alright, he's my friend. I've known this guy for years, but instead, my idea of peace, at least in that moment, was I'm going to keep my mouth shut, I'm not going to say anything, and it'll be fine. And, and as far as that goes, I was successful. As far as that view of peace, I obtained peace, but only later did I find out that it was not really peace. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, then, let's, here's some notable peacemakers uh, throughout, throughout history. And this is a little bit, there's a little bit of ironic uh, uh, tension with these as you notice these. The first one is the Colt 45. Okay? The Colt 45. Now, then, I'm not talking about the uh, the libation okay i'm talking about the actual colt 45 okay manufactured from around 1870s all the way up to around uh 1940 this was the gun that tamed donnie nix i mean the west this was the gun that tamed the west and perry uh this is the gun that tamed the west anyway some some famous guys used a colt 45 and the likes of wyatt earp and and doc holliday you know, they carried the Colt 45, and the Colt 45 was called what? The, the Peacemaker. Then there was the B-36 bomber. 
This uh, was the largest bomber that was ever put into service by the U.S. Air Force, the B-36 bomber, and it carried the moniker Peacemaker. And then in the mid-'80s, there was a ballistic missile that was capable of dealing up to 10 different nuclear warheads to 10 different targets, and it was also called the Peacemaker. And I don't know, but I, I find that a little bit ironic that you have these weapons of war that are described as peacemakers. You know, you, you hear a lot of times about Rome and the, the peace of Rome or the Pax Romana. And it was said that Rome brought peace to the, to the world at that time or to the, the known civilized world. But what one contemporary writer had to say was it not that was it's not that that Rome brought peace to all of the land it was that Rome showed up in all of these territories and destroyed everything and destroyed everybody and said we have peace when Jesus says blessed are the peacemakers I don't think that's what he has in mind I think he is I think he's calling us to something different, that he's calling us, he's calling us to something more. Every single one of us, we know or, or we interact on a daily basis with someone who is a troublemaker, right? Or you have known someone who is a troublemaker. And you know who these people are. They're the people that are constantly involved in some sort of conflict. Some sort of turmoil. They're the ones that love to stir things up around the office. You know who I'm talking about? Okay, they're the ones who claim to hate drama, but by hate they mean love. Because it seems like they constantly perpetuate drama. They constantly perpetuate strife, and it brings tension, and it brings stress into the, into the relationship. This is the person that hears a piece of news and then seasons it up a little bit more and then sends it back out there to do more of its work. And it's like every time you, you see that person come, it's like, okay, what's, what's going to happen this time? What are they going to say? What are, they, what are they going to do? They not only you know, enjoy the, the, the strife and cause strife for themselves, they cause a lot of strife and they cause a lot of tension for, for others. To the point that, you know, sometimes you just don't want to be around people like that. Am I right? And, and we find these people, we find them in all walks of life. Okay? It is, uh, it, it is probable that all of us have somebody that we interact with on, on, on a daily or a weekly basis that is just like this in our jobs. You know who they are. You know when to see them. You know when, when, whenever it is you have that staff meeting that there's always going to be something. And you kind of dread looking forward to it. You kind of dread having to, to, to go into that. Uh, we, we see people like this at, at school. Okay, like, like, like Danny, who was the troublemaker on the bus who went around just causing trouble nonstop. You know, another word for him would have been a bully, okay? And, and, and kids have to interact with people like that 
all the time. And now we don't just interact with them at school. You know, we have social media. And so, you know, that's another whole realm of, of bullying and troublemaking that has, has become available to us. It could be that you have a troublemaker within your own home. Maybe you're the troublemaker within your own home, that you constantly bring a, a source of, of tension and, and, and strife within your family. And there are even troublemakers in the church. I have been a part of some churches that had some troublemakers, and I knew, and it was just like I was talking about, when I would go into a meeting, I knew that person was going to be there, and because I knew that person was going to be there, I found myself not preparing for the meeting, but preparing for that individual. You know what I'm talking about? Because that's just, that's the stress that a troublemaker brings. It can distract us from our, from our, 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 our focus. But Jesus came and he preached peace. Yet when you look at the life of Jesus, you realize that he had many, many encounters that were, were not all of that peaceful. And then by the, the end of his ministry, it could be argued that he had offended more people than people who were actually following him. Jesus preached peace, yet he often had conflicts and, and disputes with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees. And the reason why he had those, those disagreements with those people is because they were doing things or saying things that were keeping others from coming into the kingdom of God or at least making it very difficult for them to get there. So Jesus would step into the fray right there, and he would challenge what they were doing. He'd say, when you go to make a convert, you make him twice a son of hell that you are. Jesus would take these people to task. You look at Matthew 23, and this is the uh, this is that chapter where, where Jesus just pronounces woe after woe after woe after woe. And every single one of them are aimed at the Pharisees. Are aimed at these religious leaders that were making it difficult for people to come to Jesus. To come inside the, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. What he does not say is settle for peace at any cost. You know, and un unfortunately, there are a lot of people that do that. You know, we, we know who that person is. And we know that wherever we go in a crowd, or if it's going to be a family reunion, or a, a church gathering, or a business meeting, or, or some event at school, we know that they're going to be there. We know that they're probably going to cause something that, that adds stress, that adds trouble to the situation, and maybe they have one individual that they're kind of singling out, instead of, and instead of dealing with it in order to make peace, a lot of times what do we do? We don't say anything. We call that, we call that peace. But I don't, I don't think that's peace. The person who is blatantly and openly in, in, involved in a sin, yet 
that sin is not confronted because, well, we want to we keep the peace. The, the, the spouse who is abusive verbally or mentally, maybe physically, and we don't say anything because we don't want to disrupt the, the, the peace. And so a lot of times to keep that sort of peace, what we do is we, we turn a blind eye. We turn a blind heart to it because we don't want to upset everybody. We don't want to upset the, the, the peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. If we do that, that is not being a peacemaker. That's being a pushover. That is allowing something, some, some negative behavior, some destructive pattern to continue. Maybe because we don't want to get involved. Maybe because we don't want to get our hands dirty. Maybe because, well, maybe because we don't like conflict. And, you know, I, I don't know many people that enjoy conflict. I don't. It's not, you know, something that I enjoy being a part of. But to allow behavior like that to just run rampant and then and call it peace? Well, if anything, it's a, it's a very cheap version of peace. And it's not the, the peace that, that Jesus was talking about. Jesus didn't turn his head to evil. Jesus did not turn his eyes away from the religious abuse that was happening at the, at the hands of the Pharisees. And so as we continue down the other side of the, the, the mountain of the Beatitudes, Jesus leads us to, to this one about peacemakers. We've already learned how to deal with others in, in being merciful. We've already learned about what it means to be pure and hard and to have integrity as we deal with others. But now as we come to this beatitude, Jesus directs it at our intimate relationships. He directs this one at our, our relationships with our family and our friends, our loved ones. When he says, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And you can imagine what a statement like that sounded like to the Jews of Jesus' day. Martin Lloyd-Jones comments, and he says this, he says, this statement must have come as a very great shock to the Jews. They had the idea that the coming kingdom of the Messiah was to be a military one, a national, materialistic one. And you see that throughout the, the pages of Scripture. You see that this is the kind of uh, uh, kingdom and the kind of king that they were waiting on, that Jesus was going to come in and was going to overthrow the Romans. That he was going to kick out the, 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 the Pax Romana the peace of Rome, and he was going to establish the pox of the Jews, the peace of the Jews. And they were waiting for him, they were waiting for him to do this. And so you can imagine what this kind of statement, when Jesus is blessed are the peacemakers, you can imagine the effect that it might have had on these Jews. 
that are awaiting the Messiah and are looking at Jesus and are wondering if He is the one that Scripture has talked about. If He really and, and truly is the, the Son of God. Well, Jesus desired peace with all. Now then, we know that He, even though He desired that, that was not attained. I mean, we know that. Look at what happened to Him. He ended up on a cross. Okay? Now then, I, th- I think we can also draw from that that while we're called to be peacemakers, that, that you and I know that it is almost next to impossible to have peace with everybody. And I think a lot of the reason is because while we may desire peace, that's got to be a two-way street. Okay? The peace of Rome came in, wiped everything out, and proclaimed we've got peace. That was not a two-way street. That was not a, a mutual agreement. That was not, I'll make this concession if you make that concession and we'll come to this agreement and have peace. That was, we'll wipe out everything and call that peace. If we are going to be the the peacemakers, then we're going to know that there's going to be times where we're not going to be able to achieve peace because even though we desire peace, those that we desire to attain peace with may not desire peace. Does that, does that make sense? And that's part of the reason that makes this one so difficult. That is also part of the reason why instead of choosing to engage and try to, to make the situation better, a lot of times we say, hey, you know what, for the sake of peace, I'm just I'm not going to say anything. Okay, and, and I'm guilty of saying that. Okay, I, I am as guilty of anybody as saying, you know what, for, for the sake of keeping the peace, I'm just, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Okay? Anybody else? Am I the only one that's made that kind of You see, that's not really peace. That's allowing a destructive behavior to, to, to go unchecked, and you know what destructive behavior can do. Jesus desired peace with all. He didn't get peace with all, but he tried to have peace with all. And, you know, some of the, some of the people that gave him the, the biggest fits were, you know, kind of within his own camp. You know, those disciples, those, the twelve. You know, I, I know I frustrate Jesus a lot. And I can only imagine how much the twelve frustrated Jesus you know I you know the the end of the book of John says there was so much more that happened that it couldn't be fit all in the book I would love to know what those things were I wonder if John is right he's like man I'm gonna leave that out (laughs) or remember when I said that (laughs) I'm not writing it down I just you know (laughs) you know but we have recorded instances where you know he just is they're just giving him fits okay Peter okay what do we know about Peter he was the, you know, he's kind of the leader. He's the, you know, he's the mouthpiece. He's the spokesman. Nine times out of ten, he forgot to engage his brain before he spoke. You know, uh, he would engage in an activity well before he thought it out. Peter was one of the ones who, who had misinterpreted the Scripture, twisted the Scripture. Okay, Peter was one of the ones that didn't understand fully why Jesus had come. 
Jesus was talking about his death and that he was going to die. And Peter had the audacity to pull Jesus Christ, the Son of God, aside and rebuke him. And say, hey, wait a minute, that's not how Messiah's story goes. Messiah does not end up on a cross. Messiah is the military king, the nationalistic king, who comes in, kicks out the Romans, sets himself up as king, and all of us up as little sub-kings, by the way. Messiah does not die. Messiah, Messiah lives. Messiah rids us of these Romans. And it was that rebuke right there that earned Peter the sharpest rebuke we ever read in Scripture. Where Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. The things of man was this kind of kingdom that Martin Lloyd-Jones is talking about. On the night Jesus was betrayed, what does Peter do? Instead of thinking, he takes on a garrison. He takes on 600 soldiers with a sword and hacks a guy's ear off. You got James and John, the brothers. Uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, or Boanerges. And, and what that means is the sons of thunder. And, and, and what we think that means is that means that Zebedee had a temper. Okay, and he was known for thundering that temper. And apparently he passed some of that on to his boys. And there was this time where there was a Samaritan town that didn't want Jesus to enter. And James and John... I said, hey, Lord, I, we, we, I've, I've got a plan. We have a plan for these people. Let us call down fire from heaven and just torch everybody out. You know, some real redemptive ministry right there that James and John wanted to do. You know, hey, we don't need to give them the love. We'll just burn everybody out. They would have been real good Romans probably. There was another time, James and John, they wanted the seats at the right and the left of Jesus. Got their mom involved in it. You know, of course, the other ten are going to be just happy and just fine with that. That says, yeah, yeah, go ahead and take those seats. Start up strife among the disciples. Then there was Thomas. Thomas, who, you know, we know Thomas. Thomas is the doubter. Thomas evidently missed the, uh, the, uh, the meeting where Jesus is going to come back and meet with all the apostles. Or he skipped it or slept through it or something. But he wasn't there, and they said, hey, Jesus is back. And he said, well, you, you might say that, but I'm not going to believe until I see. So I see his hands and see the side where he was pierced. You know, and that's just a few of the incidences that you can imagine just caused Jesus to just want to pull his hair out. How many times over and over and over again did he want to say, you guys are the biggest knuckleheads I have ever met. I'm going to find somebody else. How many times did he want to just throw his hands up and, and, and just kind of wash his hands and be done with those guys? But yet he, he didn't. You know, he could have said to, to Peter and to James and John and to Thomas, hey, look, you know, you did good for a while, but I can't have this kind of stuff. Peter, I can't have your brash actions and your loud unthinking mouth your unguarded tongue I, there's no room for that on my team james and john you guys got a pride problem this is about serving people you're out of here thomas i am the son of god 
If you're going to be one of my followers, I can't have doubt. There can't be any shadow of a doubt. So you you got to go too. But Jesus would not give up on them. He wouldn't throw his hands up. You see, and that's the, that's the essence of peace that I think Jesus is, is talking about. The way the message translates this verse says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Does that make sense? You're blessed when you show people how to cooperate. Those people that are always stirring up trouble, that are always causing problems in in, in relationships. When you go to that person and you talk to them about their attitude or about their actions or whatever it is, and you show them, hey, look, this is not the way to live your life. And you step in and you become a peacemaker. And you show that person the way of of Jesus and what it means to follow Him and how it means to to treat people and be merciful and to to treat people and, and be a person of integrity. And you show them peace. And then if they accept and receive that peace, you watch as that person's life then becomes a life of peace. Of a, a life of chaos, a life of, uh, of strife and trouble, a life of, uh, of stress. And he goes on to say, that's when you discover who you really are. Your place in God's family. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, um, those of you that, that know me, you know I have lots and lots and lots of, of Bibles. I have probably more Bibles than any one person needs. And it's not that I collect them, I just have them. I have tons of Bibles. And part of that's because when a Bible gets old, you know, I feel guilty for throwing it away, so I'm not going to do that, so it sits on my shelf, okay? And so, you know, I have, I have like, like 45 Bibles, okay? If there's ever an earthquake, I'm going to be killed by the Word of God, okay? I'm just going to be buried by it, but hey, what a better way to go out, I guess, you know? Now then, uh, Kathy Swearingen came to me a couple of weeks ago, and she says, I've got this version of the Bible that you've probably never heard of before. And she was right. I had never heard of it before, but it was so enjoyable and refreshing that I ordered myself a copy of it. And it's called The Jesus Book. And it is written in Hawaii Pidgin. And what that language is, it's kind of like Hawaii Creole. And uh, after studying it and trying to figure out what it is, turns out that the, the plantation owners in Hawaii had all plantation workers, all of these slaves from, from Asia and all these different places, Japan and, and the Philippines and all these different places. And, and they didn't have a common language, but they would listen to their English plantation owners, and so they kind of pick and choose the words there, and they sort of just came up with this language. Well, it became kind of a, a native language, to these, these Hawaiians, and I don't know, a few years ago, uh, like I think I want to say 18, 19 years ago, some Bible translators got together with, with some of these Hawaiian people, and they took the New Testament and they translated it into that pidgin language. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to read. I really like the way it reads. you got to kind of, what I sort of figured, you kind of got to read it with like a little Creole flavor 
a little bit. And so I'm going to give you my best shot at it. And then when I mess it up, go ask Kathy because she's much better at it than I am. But this is Matthew 5, 9 from the Jesus book. This is about the peacemaker. The people that help the other people become friends again, they can stay good inside because God's going to say, they my kids. Is that all right, Kathy? Thanks, sister. What they're saying is, and what the, the, the message of this is, is perfect. That our job as the peacemakers is to help people get rid of that inner turmoil that is constantly driving them into just manifesting it in whatever way they can on the people that are around them. Okay, that's part of our job. And the people that do that, what they're saying is, hey, those are God's people. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called. They will be called the children of God. Now then, as we said, you can't always do it. You can't always have peace. But let me, let me say this. Let me say this. We need more peacemakers. Okay? We have enough troublemakers to go around. We have enough trouble to go around. And we need more peacemakers. Okay, I can't, I don't know that I can say that strong enough. But we have to have more peacemakers. Okay, where are we going to find the peacemakers? It's going to start with us. We have to be the people that agree to be the peacemakers. We have to be the people that are going to step in and bring peace. Paul would write in, in Romans chapter 12, he would say, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Peter would write in 1 Peter 3.11, seek peace and pursue it. And maybe if we were going to say, you know, what, what Paul is saying, look, if it is possible, if it is possible, you live at peace with whoever that person is. Okay? So whoever that person is that you work with, that you go to school with, that you live in a house with, okay, or that you're related to, or, or go to church with, or whoever, I know we don't have any troublemakers here, but whoever that person is, as much as it depends on you, if it is at all possible, live at peace. Now then, that's not easy to do. But what that means, what that, that brings into the mix is it, it brings in more than peace. That, that involves maybe forgiveness. It might involve and, and, and probably will involve a conversation that might not be pleasant, at least on the front end. As we have to confront that behavior, that the attitude, or, or, or whatever it might be, the sin. But it also means that there's reconciliation involved. You know, reconciliation is, you know, the, the basic simple definition is you had things that were once together and then something came in and divided them. And to reconcile means to take these two things that were once uh, together and then bring them back together. That's what, what reconciliation means, okay? Part of peace 
peacekeeping is reconciliation, the reconciling of a, of a relationship. It doesn't mean turning a blind eye to things. It doesn't mean not saying something when we should say something. You know, with my friend, I told you that while at the moment I thought I had gained peace, I ended up hurting that relationship. Okay, and, 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 and that friend, my friend, ended up thinking that I had a hand in Danny coming down there and starting that fight with me, even though I absolutely had nothing to do with it. And I can't blame him for thinking that way because I didn't say anything. I was scared, I'll admit to you. I was scared, but I didn't say anything. I didn't step in to stop it. It didn't get stopped till Danny's sister stepped in to stop it. Now then, she could handle Danny, so, you know, she's a tough gal herself. But it ended up damaging that relationship. That was not peace. That was me being afraid. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. That means if we're going to be peacemakers, this, this, this puts the responsibility on us, does it not? Another way you can look at this verse is this. You live at peace with all. Do everything you can to live at peace. Aside from turning a blind eye, because that's not peace. But you do everything you can to live in godly peace with all you come across. Now then, not everybody's going to want to do that because never, not everybody desires peace. And, and you and I both know that. And so sometimes peace is impossible because we live in a broken and we live, we live in a fallen world. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Let me give you the, the growth point of our morning here. The children of God are those who bring peace into places where there is no peace. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, what that is saying is that the children of God are the people who do the, the work of God. Okay, And when, when we set it in our minds to start bringing about peace, we are doing the work of God. We're dealing with the bad stuff in a godly way. We're dealing with sin. We're dealing with improper attitudes. We're, we're dealing in, in forgiveness and, and reconciliation. All of those things are the work of God, and that work of God is done by the children of God. And so one of the, the best markers, maybe one of the most pure markers of knowing if someone is a child of God is whether or not that person is a peacemaker. You see, a peacemaker steps in to troubled lives when others step away. A peacemaker diffuses tense situations. A troublemaker inflames those kinds of, uh, of situations. Being a peacemaker requires a, a, a deep love and, and compassion, first and, and foremost for God and for His Son, Jesus. Okay, I, I don't know that it is possible to be a peacemaker, a true peacemaker, 
without a deep love for Jesus Christ and God and what was accomplished on the cross and the empty tomb. Okay, and the other thing is, too, I don't think you can skip all the other Beatitudes and just do be a peacemaker. Okay? Because if I am going to step into a situation that is full of nastiness, I first, I have to be prepared for that. You have to be prepared for that. The way we're prepared for that is by spending time in God's presence. By acknowledging our sin, by mourning over our sin, by becoming meek, by seeking God with everything we have, being transformed into His presence and, and His, His likeness. I can't deal in mercy and I can't deal in integrity and I can't deal in peace without first appreciating and being transformed by my God. But a peacemaker does that. They step into, they step into the gap. And so they have this deep love and compassion for God and for Jesus but along with that, they have a deep love and compassion for the troublemaker. It's easier to not say something, right? It's easier to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear or, or whatever you want to say. It is much easier to do that. But it is much less loving to do that in the long run. Because then we're putting our own well-being ahead of the, maybe the, even the spiritual well-being of that person. Okay, a peacemaker requires sacrifice. This is not about me. So I'm going to set aside my pride. I'm going to set aside worrying about what's going to happen. I'm just, you know, my concern is for you. My concern is for, for your soul. And I'm going to step into this and see if I can bring some peace into this, this situation. So, I'll ask you this question. Is there somebody in your life that you're ready to give up on? I've had people in my life that I was ready to give up on. That I was absolutely ready to say, hey, look, I'll see you if and when I see you. Don't call me, I won't call you. Okay, I've had people in my life that are that are like that on, on, on several occasions. Is there someone in your life that is, is like that? Is there someone in your life that needs you? Is there someone in your life that needs you to step in and bring peace into their turmoil? Who needs you to, to show them that there is a better way? That a life can be lived without strife and, and, and without chaos and, and turmoil. It's not an easy beatitude. But it's one that Jesus calls us to. Seek peace and pursue it. And if at all possible, live at peace with, with everyone. Remember, peacemakers are called the children of God because they do the work of God. The children of God 
are those who bring peace into places where is no peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, many of us have peace in our life And if you do have that peace in your life, it's because Jesus died. Jesus stepped into the mess that we created. And he offered his life so that we can have peace. You know, Paul would write later on that uh, uh, we can have peace. We can have the the peace of God. We can have a, uh, a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, that's the peace that in, like when the world is just kind of swirling around you and life is just going crazy and it feels like things are falling apart, but you, you, you know, you know that, you know what, I'm, I'm okay. That's the peace of God. That's a peace that cannot be even explained. And people say, how are you so calm in this? That's the peace. Of, they're asking about the peace of God. Listen for that. How did you get through that? How did you manage They're asking you to tell them about the peace of God. And it might be that that person needs that peace and needs you. Well, hey, let me show you how I did that. It wasn't easy. It was difficult, and I wanted to give up. And I wanted to give up on these people. And you can be a peacemaker today. And so that's what I want to leave you with this morning. Go out and be a peacemaker. Because we need more peacemakers. We don't need any more troublemakers. We've got enough of those. We need more peacemakers. Now, maybe you haven't experienced the peace of Jesus. You can today. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Identify with him in baptism. And have the peace of God. Maybe your life is just spinning out of control and you've got things going on. Come and bring those and lay them at the foot of the cross and experience the peace of Jesus once again. But don't go away feeling turmoil and and feeling stress. If we can help you, if we can pray for you, why don't you come while we stand and sing Mighty to Save.